following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 896 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today at a brand new desk with your other co-host, Brittany Page. I cannot even count the number of iterations of the studio that we have had <laughs> since we started the podcast in 2014. I think it is probably close to 10 at this point. Oh, yeah. Are you including... The time when the podcast table was was adjacent to our bed in our bedroom, <laughs> like just not really even a studio, just a place a, a place to place microphones. I am thinking of that time because <laughs> we actually had guests come on during that time, and they would be next to the bed. Yeah. So that. That is no longer the situation, and we're grateful for that. It is uh, a testament to the growth of the show that yeah. we are no longer in that situation. It really, well, it's independent media. This is, it began like any other podcast that anyone out there who would like to start a podcast, how it would work. Yeah. You start, you don't have an audience, your friends and family may or may not listen. <laughs> And you build an audience. Yeah. And here we are nearly, in just like three months, it'll be 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're approaching 900 episodes. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It is. It I mean, is. just any reflection at all, and I do it all the time, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So not to transition away from the the studio, but I have a direct view of Sweepy's ham hocks right now, and it is going to be very sweet, I guess, just uh, how long she's going to be good during the show. We usually put her upstairs. She's not allowed to be down here when we're doing the show, but maybe she will uh, cause a problem and we'll have to transition to getting her out of the studio while we're doing the show. Yes. So I want to talk about holiday movies because it is December. It is the holiday time. And we just watched The Holdovers, which has Paul Giamatti and I think two other relatively unknown actors. I guess they were unknown to me. I shouldn't assume that they were unknown. newcomers, right. Yeah. I mean, they're not Paul Giamatti. Yeah, and I was surprised to learn that he's never had an Oscar nomination and that he may be getting his first Oscar nomination. It's bananas to me. For this movie. I hope I'm correct in reporting those facts. But it was a really good movie, The Holdovers. If Very you're looking good. for a holiday movie that is um, uplifting and moving and emotional, I definitely recommend that one. Or you can go with Jesse's favorite, which is Die Hard. Favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, we watched Home Alone. Last night we watched Home Alone. Yeah, we're on a holiday movie kick, apparently. What did you say your your favorite Christmas movie is? Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not really my favorite Christmas movie, but it is kind of a holiday movie. I don't know. It it, it it's set during like the cold months, you're, right? You're, you're She's def- running in the cold in the beginning and You're you're definitely not a Silence of the Lambs holiday movie. You're you're uh what's the Jimmy Stewart movie that it's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. I love It's a Wonderful yeah, Life. That's, yeah, that's probably my that's favorite. That's guaranteed tears from Brittany Page every single time you watch it. Multiple times. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my favorites for sure. I know it's not yours. Yeah, I have a hard time. And it's, I think it's a, it's a cognitive deficit that I have. I have a hard <laughs> time um, respecting, uh, being entertained by, enjoying. How about that? Enjoying old films older films hmm. I, I don't know there have been times in 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 recent years that I've watched it's it's a wonderful life and have t- cried at certain scenes mainly because I look over and you're really going through it and that brings me some emotion <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so <laughs> well we'll test you again this year when we watch it again we'll see where you're at with the with the old movies and whether you've gotten over your what did you call it a cognitive deficit yeah yeah <laughs> okay so let's take a moment to thank our patreon supporters because without them we wouldn't have made it out of the bedroom setup, that's right as we just talked about so thank you to our new patreon supporters mona h mona h jessica n Jessica N. Tina C. Tina C. Kennedy G. Kennedy G. Jamie L. Jamie L. And Holland. And Holland. So remember that we are doing our end of year Patreon gift. So if you become a Patreon supporter by the end of the year, you will receive the Patreon gift. Of course, you are going to have to put your mailing address. So if you do not put your mailing address on your Patreon profile, then you won't be getting the end of your gift. But if you become a Patreon supporter by the end of the year, you add your mailing address, you will get the the end of your gift. It was actually delivered to the P.O. box. So we have to go get it. And now we're going to be stuffing the envelopes over the next two weeks. So please get those addresses updated as soon as you can. Well, let me get, let me add a cat, not a caveat. Let me add to what you're saying is oftentimes and not like, oh, sometimes it's, we receive a shit ton of returned envelopes with the gifts every single year because people move and they don't update their address or they've entered their address incorrectly, which still just blows my mind. Um, So make sure your address, somebody wrote in and said, I couldn't figure it out. Just go to your profile, your account. And then like you would on Amazon or whatever, go to your default settings and, and change your address, add it if it's not there and change it if it's incorrect. Yeah, and if you do send it to me, it's not like I'm going to say, ah, this person couldn't figure it out. They're not getting an end of your gift. Yeah, I'm yeah. obviously going to, if I you know, get your message, correct that information. But I would prefer if it would just kind of be <laughs> yeah. all in there because I'm going to create those labels that make it so seamless where you just send it over to Word and you create those labels and suddenly a thousand addresses appear and it makes everything so much easier than handwriting hundreds of envelopes. You so. make it look like a professional operation. Exactly. Yes. So we do have some listener communication. I think we have two phone calls and an email. So I think we're going to start with the one of the voicemails. Of course, the phone number is 657-464-7609. Or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. This first voicemail is from Kara. 
Hi, Brittany. Hi, Jesse. My name's Kara, and as a trans woman that's been on HRT for five years now and dealing with all of the abuse and bigotry and hate that our community gets, I simply wanted to say thanks um, for doing your coverage on uh, Ben Shapiro's nonsense and also wanted to ask the both of you uh, if you've thought about maybe doing some more coverage to support the, the trans community. Um, thank you for what you do. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Well, thanks, Kara. Uh, it's always encouraging to receive um, messages like this, and it's kind of a, it's an opposite. Like I always feel like we should be the ones offering encouragement and hang in there, and you know, because we're in the in the the non-oppressed segment of of, of in many ways a privileged. Uh, set up with with just the luck of how what we've been born and it's nice to receive these types of emails let me tell you if i don't what do we call that one episode where we really went at it and the entire episode turned into trans issues the trans trans stravaganza we called the episode yeah it was episode 851 on march 6th of this year yeah 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 uh, yeah, well, listen, we, we certainly this is not a topic we shy away from. In fact, I believe that episode, we ended up losing quite a bit of Patreon support. Not like a, a, a shit ton, but we lost patrons because people just have this cemented innate, I don't know if it's innate, but it's a program thing of bigotry where oh, I can't handle it. It's not, it's just the same bigotry, whether it be about, you know, 20 years ago, the same arguments people would make against gay people and lesbians, they're now making against trans people, and they can't do the math in their head to say, oh, this is just a repeat of a lot of the issues I've already worked through about the gay community, and now it's about trans, and the arguments are just transposed on. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I don't fucking get it. But. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important to us to continue to cover it because we see some of the bigotry bubbling up through the left as well. Like some of these right-wing talking points are getting through to the left. And in fact, you see some prominent right-wing commentators sometimes dominating Twitter, you, for example. You mean left-wing? Like Anna Kasparian? Yeah. You said right-wing. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 Um, that it, Easy to make the mistake sometimes, though. <laughs> where... They will say things about, you know, I'm not going to be called a birthing person or whatever it is. You know, they're they're complaining about things and that aren't really a problem. And then that helps, like, elevate those right-wing talking points, even for people on the left. And so I think it's important that we take a stand, we continue to take a stand. And, you know, Kara, if you come across a story that you feel like is important, please send it to us. And that's that doesn't just go for Kara, that goes for anyone. If yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. like there's a story out there that you think is important for us to cover, I can't guarantee that, that we will cover it, obviously, but we, you know, we get stories, we get recommendations, and sometimes it's like, oh, wow, we didn't come across this, this is important, yeah, yeah, we yeah. want to cover this. So definitely... Send that stuff our way. If there's there's a trans issue that you feel like needs to be highlighted, definitely send it our way and let us know. And also, to just to put a fine point on this, um, trans rights are human rights. And if you are if you're getting there but you're not quite there yet, you know, kick yourself in the ass and get there. But if you're repeating the same, let me say this: <laughs> if if you if you admire people like Anna Kasparian or Jank Uger who use arguments that 
if you were just reading a quote and not saying who it was, and if you guessed that it was Matt Walsh or or Ben Shapiro saying the quote, when in fact it was Anna Kasparian, maybe you should message Anna or get on Twitter and you know not not be abusive, but say, listen, what what are you doing? You're not elevating the cause. You're not advancing human rights for a group of people that have been. Uh, not just traditionally, but in a contemporary sense, being abused, being killed, being just the ultimate oppression. Um, and well, I'll say, I'll just end it. We're 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 not here for that. We're we're striving to be on the right side of history and to punch uh, up, not down. All right. So thank you, Kara, for that voicemail. This next voicemail is from someone who didn't leave their name. So whenever that happens, we refer to the person as anonymous. So this is an anonymous person. And, you know, we typically only play voicemails on the show. This is like a rule that has been created when they greet both of us. Because if it's like, hi, Jesse, then like that's for his YouTube channel. If it's hi, Brittany, that's for my YouTube channel. Go ahead and go over there and subscribe. And <laughs> and if it's for both of us and it's like, that's for the show. We made an exception here because this person is complaining about our, our previous episode, but they're directing their complaint to Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Um, I'm an 82-year-old woman in Tucson, Arizona, and I just finished listening to you and Brittany. And I truly respect her because the reason I'm calling is I find foul language offensive. I used to watch Hal Sparks, but I don't watch him anymore because he uses too many offensive terms. So just a note, please try to be like Brittany and keep everything clean. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Finally, the respect I deserve. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about this. Please try to be like Brittany. That's a new new drop. <laughs> new drop is just a reminder. It's nice to hear people telling you to be more like me rather than people telling me to be more like you. It's nice. Well, one, let, let me address the, uh, the anonymous caller's uh, main point. Please try to be like Brittany. That'd be, I think that's a secondary <laughs> point. The main point being that being offended by or foul language offends me. What is that? I don't even really know what that means. What is foul? Is hell? Because I know growing up, hell was a curse word. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it fuck? Is it shit? Is it like where is the line, the delineation? Mm-hmm. Because I know people who aren't even like foul language people who wouldn't have a problem hearing me say the word fuck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, I definitely know what you mean. And anyone who knows me knows that I have a very filthy mouth. A very as filthy, filthy mouth. as Jesse D. Absolutely, yeah. Ever since I was young, um, there's <laughs> video of me as like a toddler calling my dad a little asshole, and he was. And <laughs> he wasn't little. <laughs> and but he was indeed. Yeah, it started young. An asshole. And so I I curb it a little bit for the show because a lot of people don't like it, and it's really not necessary to use it all the time but you know it has its moments and I definitely am not offended by it I'm not offended by any words actually um, like uh, people write in and leave comments and 
Yeah, yeah. Use the C word. I'm not going to say it on the YouTubes, but, you know. Well, see, so here's 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 the deal. Here's really kind of the, the, the rub of it is I try to be authentic on YouTube, on the podcast. And I think I'm more authentic on the podcast because I drop the F-bomb a lot more. And it's really mm. part of my vernacular. It's It's not me trying to be edgy and using like, this is just who I am. And I curse in my real life because I'm an adult and I use adult language. If you don't, great. And the reason I don't do it as much on YouTube, and this is going on YouTube, so that's kind of dumb, but like on the Dollar More Daily is because of monetization and people have reached out and said, hey, I can't watch this at work if you're going to be dropping the F-bomb. So I bleep it when I say it, which is rarely. But here on the podcast, it, you know, we've... Again, going back to the, the the initial intro of the show, talking about 10 years here, this is how we started, and I, the flavor of the show, I don't want to change the makeup of the show. So, to Anonymous Caller, I want to be as authentic as I can. I also don't want to cause viewers to flee, because I think what we have to say is important, but, you know, I'm still going to... Sorry, Kind of sorry, but sorry, not really going to change. I also think that a lot of the things that we talk about kind of call for strong language. And the things that actually do upset me, that do offend me, are like violations of human rights and all yeah. the, these things that we're, we're talking about all the time. Those are the things that actually upset me. And so if we are going to use strong language, we're going to use it because it helps amplify what we're feeling and it's descriptive. It helps communicate a message. There's a reason for using it. And it reminds me of a TikTok that a listener sent to us, actually, um, Carly in Texas. And the the guy in the TikTok was making a similar argument that like he hasn't, I think it was like about raising his kids, that he hasn't raised his kids to think of bad words as being bad He's raised his kids to be offended by racism, by poverty, by, you know, whatever. And I think some people will hear that and go, oh, how high and mighty, like, oh, trying to (laughs) whatever. But I think it's a I think it's a nice message, actually. It does remind me uh, and I don't want (laughs) to. This was kind of a joke call. Please try to be like Brittany. She's very serious. But I mean, we played it more to highlight that part of it that I should be more like you. Um, It reminds me of. To go back to the initial call um, from Kara, that one of the reasons we did lose support over that trans uh, issue, that series of episodes that we did, was when I said, if you don't think trans rights are human rights, you can fuck straight off. And I was aggressive about it. Remember that? I do, yeah. And I still feel that way. I mean, maybe I could do a better job of trying to get people there. Um, That's not really my skill set, but... That's how I used a curse word in that moment to express just how vehemently I feel about this particular topic. Yeah. So, so again, sorry. Please try to be like Brittany. I'll try to be more <laughs> like Brittany. Okay, now we have an email before we move on to the rest of the show. And this is from EJ. EJ writes, Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I want to say I'm a fan of your content. You are doing a great job. However. Uh-oh. Oh, no! EJ! The one thing that really concerns me in this day and age is that Trump and his fellow no-good doers are taking up all the air in the room and that that it is the only thing you talk about. 
Granted, they give you plenty of material. I know good news doesn't sell as fast as bad news. However, we need to remind people that Biden is doing big and great things, and we need to remind people that good things are happening now. It's not all bad news. In the 60s and 70s, there used to be policy, a policy that networks would give equal time to opposing viewpoints, and that was good for decent, thought-provoking conversations. However, when they got rid of that and enabled the Fox News networks of the world to show up and just dominate airtime with a singular opinion as if it were news. What I'm asking you, with your platform, is to give Biden and Harris's accomplishments some airtime. Let's remind people that there are reasonable people out there doing powerfully important things that really affect their everyday lives, and they should want that to continue. I hope you get what I'm talking about. You have a powerful platform. The messaging is great, but if you can make some of it about how good some things are, it will diminish Trump taking all of the air out of the room. Thanks for your time, and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you for your service. EJ. Well, thank you, EJ. Wow, there's it's a lot here. Um, did did EJ list any of uh, Biden and Harris accomplishments? I mean, very important, certainly a passion of EJ's to want them talk to. What which ones did they they list? None. Oh, wow, it's a real missed opportunity, EJ. Well, and here's what I would say to that. I would here's what I'm just I, teasing. <laughs> but I mean, doesn't this illustrate somewhat of a point? Yeah, here's here's what I would say about that. Um first, let's broadly just talk about the 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 point about like the bad news sells more than the good news. Um I think it's really important to talk about the attacks on our democracy, mm-hmm. the um impending fascist takeover, the danger that is allowing Donald Trump to be reelected president or any Republican for that matter, given the uh, Project 2025, which Jesse and I are working on a script together to produce a long form video about what exactly Project 2025 is and how dangerous it is. And it's very scary. And so I don't think about that as like bad news sells. In fact, that video is probably not going to do well. That's right. <laughs> um, In fact, most of the topics that we talk about that we're passionate about uh, that we really want to be seen because it's so fucking important don't get watched. Trans rights, climate, health care, abortion, all of these things critically important. No one clicks on them. Yeah, and and listen, we that's why we haven't been covering the Republican debates. I mean, we used to do an episode for every debate, and when we're seeing what's happening on the stage with the Republican presidential candidates, why would we why would we commit any effort to covering that whatsoever when it's pointless? So, what we go after is not, oh, this is going to sell better. We think about what's important to cover, what's going to be informing people, and certainly we can we can do a better job, I think, yeah, of, of highlighting course. good things that the Biden administration is doing. Although we try to do that too. I mean, when he signed the American Rescue Plan and the expanded child tax credit lifted, you know, millions of children out yeah. of poverty. It was a historic reduction in the child poverty rate. We talk about how important that was. We talked about that a lot. We did videos about that. We've yeah. dedicated a lot of time to it, but it didn't continue. The expanded child tax credit went right. away. And those kids fell back into poverty. Right. And so we have to cover that too. We have to talk about the 
limitations of the positive things that have been put into place. And that comes down to Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, listen, I would say this, EJ. Uh, your point is well received, and it's important uh, for sure. Um, but I wouldn't... <laughs> it's not up to me to sell the accomplishments of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's up to them. They're not doing it. They're not saying this is what we are running for president and vice president once again in 2024. This is the slate of issues that we want to accomplish in an, in a second uh, um, term. I'm not seeing any of that. That is a mistake on the part of the Democratic Party and of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They can't blame us. You can't blame us for not selling the accomplishments when they're not doing it themselves. They're not giving us the slate of issues. Second point I want to make is the good news versus bad news versus sounding the alarm about the end of American democracy. If if you live beneath a dam and it's going to break and thousands of people are going to die in a, in a massive flood, would you have me say, well, why don't you talk about the beautification on the other side of the dam? The dam, the part that's not going to get flooded. We just planted all these beautiful flowers. This is probably a wonky metaphor because I just, I'm making it up in real time. But none of that would be important because of the impending loss of life from the dam breaking. So this isn't just good news versus bad news. Well, why don't you talk about the pretty flowers? Because of the fact that we are in a situation where democracy will be over if Donald Trump is reelected. They have a plan in place to make sure that that happens because the, the, the ideological stances of the Republican Party are in misalignment with the rest of the country. And the only way that they remain in power is through cheating and nefarious means. So we're going to sound the alarm before we talk about the pretty flowers that were planted. Yeah. I, I think that's that's going <laughs> to just continue to happen. Yeah, I think it went well. I think the damn thing it was good. Was that a good one? It was good, yeah. Please try to be like Brittany. <laughs> I also think that through talking about the the negative things, that, that people can implicitly see the juxtaposition. I mean, that Democrats are not the ones who are planning to bring down our democracy and who refuse to accept election results unless they win. Um, like we're able to see the differences there and we talk about those differences. And so I think that's an important part of it too. But yeah, I mean, we tend to just focus on what the danger is and the danger really is in, in the Republican party. But we also get flack by the way, for criticizing Democrats too often. Right. So it's, it's tough to be in this spot where we're not going to please everybody. It's impossible to please everybody, but can we be doing better? Absolutely. Sure. And, and we appreciate emails like this that help remind us that we can be doing better. I would have appreciated some of, you know, EJ's favorite of the accomplishments of the Biden administration. And I would actually like to outsource that to the audience because let's talk about it what are some of your favorite accomplishments of this administration what has the biden administration done put into place that has impacted your life that has benefited you that you have been most excited about that you feel like is not being talked about enough you can call and let us know 657-464-7609 or you can send an email to i doubt it at dollamore.com let me also one more thing. I know that's the that's the the transition to move on to the next segment. I wasn't trying to cut you off. No, no, no. no. It, it, it's that 
for uh, like a lot of times I'll talk about a topic that is adjacent to a to an accomplishment of the Biden administration, like the infrastructure deal. And I'll point out that Republicans are campaigning. They're going down to ribbon cuttings that are a direct result of the infrastructure bill that they voted against. So it is a, a sideways way of pointing out an accomplishment that Republicans not only uh, were were not a fan of, they voted directly against. So a lot of times it's it's not as easy or it's not as uh as simple as you didn't talk about the accomplishment because there are accomplishments but and then you know <laughs> then we'll move on here uh i i believe right now the most important thing for biden to do is to let us do what we do and explain to the rest of the american people what they plan to do in 2025 when they hit the ground for a second term what are their 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 priorities what do they uh presume to achieve is it codify row great fantastic should have been done two decades ago but i'm here for it is it um codified gay marriage is it to propose constitutional amendments that will protect a generations and generations worth of lgbtq people in america yes i'm here for that i haven't heard it's it's crickets where's my crickets (laughs) it's crickets from joe biden and kamala harris about what their agenda will be for america going forward so I would love to be CC'd on your email, EJ, to to the campaign. <laughs> Again, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. And of course, you can email a regular old-fashioned email or a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there's an important case in Texas right now involving a woman who is seeking an abortion. She is at about 20 weeks right now. Her fetus has a deadly condition. The doctors believe that it it will not survive childbirth. And if it does, it will only survive for a a brief period of time. And that brief period will be filled with pain and suffering and turmoil. And so she, you know, filed a lawsuit, went to court, originally had her uh, abortion approved by a judge. And the scene was remarkable. Like the everyone was on a Zoom meeting. There was like 10 people on this yeah. Zoom meeting deciding whether or not this woman who has been admitted to emergency care four times in the past month has been told that her fetus will not survive, has been told that continuing her pregnancy puts her her future ability to have children at risk. The state of Texas knows all of this, and they are instead intervening in the, the judge's original order to allow her to have this abortion. Ken Paxton, the state attorney general in Texas, saying that if this abortion is allowed to go through that the state will suffer an irreparable loss if she terminates her pregnancy. Mm. That's the argument that he's making. And so the the Texas Supreme Court has paused the judge's decision in allowing her to have the abortion. Now the Texas Supreme Court is going to weigh in. And in the meantime, her health is in jeopardy. But I want to kind of go back because this has been rapidly unfolding over the past few days. Let's go back to where that original judge judge's ruling occurred. A historic decision. 
I am going to grant the temporary restraining order. A Texas judge ruling in favor of Kate Cox, who asked the court for an abortion in a state that doesn't allow them and threatens to prosecute anyone who helps women get them. The idea that Miss Cox wants desperately to be a parent and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is uh, shocking. Cox, who teared up at the hearing, is 20 weeks pregnant with a fetus that has a fatal genetic abnormality. The suit filed Tuesday also states giving birth could affect the Dallas woman's ability to have more children. The emergency order applies only to the 31-year-old mother of two and ensures her doctor will not face penalties. This case proves that abortion is essential, life-saving health care, and the judge recognized that immediately. Texas has one of the nation's most restrictive abortion laws, a near total ban on the procedure. What the judge did today will create more confusion and ultimately more harm uh, than and that. That's what we're concerned about. For her part, Cox, in a newspaper op-ed this week, wrote, I do not want to continue the pain and suffering that has plagued this pregnancy, adding, I do not want my baby to arrive in this world only to watch her suffer. The Texas Attorney General's office, which argued that Cox should not be permitted to have an abortion, issued a statement saying that her doctor could be prosecuted if she performs one. It hasn't said whether it will appeal today's decision. So, of course, this is the the party of law and order. They respect uh, judges. They respect the judge's orders, right? Also, the party of family values. This woman who wants to have kids in the future. Right. And that that ability will will could very likely be taken away if uh, if the the Texas has its way. Right. So even though the judge said, you know, this is very necessary, this this woman needs to have this procedure. Attorney General Ken Paxton said, no, that's not going to happen. Filed an appeal. And now it's in the hands of the the Texas Supreme Court, which should be making a decision soon. It, It is. You know those commercials that that after Roe came out where it's a politician in like a a doctor's office uh, with a patient and like, well, I've got to be here too because I'm part of making this decision too. Right. And a lot of people criticize those. Oh, this is way over the top. No, this isn't really blah, blah, blah. Here we are. It's actually happening minus them actually being in the doctor's exam room. This Zoom call that you're talking about, where it's a bunch of ostensibly uh, overwhelming group of white men deciding for this lady whether or not she's allowed to uh, have the the, the life-saving and uh, torture-avoiding procedure to an abortion to end the misery of this fetus uh, before it, 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 it is delivered and then suffers like baby Milo like that TikTok that you did mm-hmm. about a, 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 a baby that was forced to be born and then died suffocating in its parents' arms. Yeah. Yeah, so it's absolutely horrific. And you have... Th- these people aren't medical professionals. Right. They don't know what's going on. They, they shouldn't be the ones who have any authority or any say over what's happening. And again, this woman's life is in danger. Yeah. This is a high-risk pregnancy. She's been admitted to emergency care in just four times in just the past month 
this is serious. This is putting her health at risk. It's putting her future fertility at risk. So I think it's important that we actually hear directly from her. Her name is Kate Cox, and she gave an interview on PBS with Amna Nawaz. And it's it's going to be hard to listen to this because she has two kids. And she, and like she said, she, this is a wanted baby. She wanted this this child. And so not only is she going through the pain and suffering of having to fear for her life, fear for the fetus, um, having this all play out publicly, having to do battle and court while she's simultaneously trying to save her own life. Um, I think it's important to hear from her specifically because she has an important message for people who may think that this could never be them. Kate Cox, this is uh, turned into a legal conversation. This is this is your life. This is your family. This is your health. And you hinted a little bit. You've mentioned how difficult, um, how much pain you've been in in the last few weeks, your trips to the emergency room several times. Can you help folks understand what the last few weeks have been like for you? Um, I mean, it's hard to even put into words. I mean, it's devastating. Um, I have, I'm very grateful for my two beautiful babies at home. Um, but you know, we desperately, we want a third. We, we're so excited for this baby. She is deeply loved, deeply wanted. But, you know, fortunately, pregnancies are not all rainbows and sunshines. And it's surreal that I'm navigating these complications, you know, publicly. It feels like... Um, this is a medical decision you know, for me and for our family. And so to be going through, you know, the loss and, and the pain and um, it's hard. Kate, you didn't have to give an interview today. You don't have to give any interviews, but you did want to speak today. Why? I, I wanted the opportunity to tell my story. Um, I know personally before going into this, um, you know, I never imagined we'd be in this position. I never imagined I would ever want or need an abortion. And I, I think by sharing this story, you know, you can imagine, you know, the women that you love in your life and, you know, imagine they're pregnant and so happy and looking forward to the baby and they find out that she will not survive. She'll either die in my belly or I'll carry her to term and have to deliver her stillborn. Or if she arrives into this world, you know, her life will be measured in minutes or hours or days and plagued with medical devices. Um, she would need to be placed directly onto hospice. So imagine receiving that news and pairing that with the risks and complications of continuing the pregnancy and the childbirth. It's, it's overwhelming. So I wanted to share my story because I never would have thought of it before it happened to me. And so I just, you know, want people to hear it. That's Kate Cox using words about how devastating this is, how deeply loved, deeply wanted this baby was. And the family values, quote unquote, Republican Party in Texas is traumatizing her publicly, dragging this out, not allowing Kate Cox and her physician, her trained, educated medical professional to make this decision, they're interjecting themselves and could very well 
extricate from her her ability to have kids in the future. Again, family values, Republican Party. Right. And again, remember that the Attorney General, Ken Paxton, after the initial judge's ruling that would have permitted Kate Cox to obtain this life-saving procedure, to obtain the abortion that she needs, that he sent a letter to three Houston-area hospitals where uh, Kate Cox's doctors hold privileges, claiming that the, the judge's order would not shield them from criminal charges or fines right. should they proceed with the abortion. So he is determined. He is. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about what happens to her. He wants to apparently test some of his legal arguments using this case before the Supreme Court in Texas. And that's really what it's about for him. It's not about Kate Cox. It's not even about the unborn child, as he's referring to it in his in his legal filings. Kate Cox is the one who's being impacted here. Kate Cox yeah. is the one who is in grief because this was a wanted pregnancy. The, the right wing tries to act like women who are seeking abortions are reckless and they're just out there banging everybody and getting pregnant and yeah, using yeah, abortions yeah. as birth control. No, you heard from Kate Cox. She's crushed. And she's having to go through this publicly, and it's disgusting. Yeah, this is another reality that we're facing that the Republican Party has denied for months and months and months. It, it like In states all across the country, in Louisiana, this has happened. Idaho, this has happened, we've talked about, where they say, oh, no, that, no, the law is very clear, very plain. No one's at risk of, of prosecution. And then here we see... The, the 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 coin has flipped. We know what Ken Paxton is doing. He's now threatening doctors with prosecution if indeed they practice medicine, and that's what this is, practicing medicine in the state of Texas. Right, and you heard in that first news package, there was a guy who said that this case is going to make things more confusing. He was a representative from a right-to-life organization. This case isn't going to make things more confusing. What has made things confusing is Ken Paxton refusing to follow what the judge ruled right. and creating more fear for doctors that even when a judge says this abortion should be permitted, that they're still going to be at risk of prosecution of fines of losing their medical license and their livelihood to be able to continue to make a living and you know this case also gets to the heart of why there shouldn't be hurdles in place to obtaining abortions i think sometimes people hear oh you know getting an ultrasound and having a waiting day period that seems reasonable why why shouldn't we permit that well because it's pushing someone like kate cox further and further along in their pregnancy and Republicans claim that they, you know, are worried about viability. Right, right. When you have uh, these these hurdles in place, I can't think of the word that I'm that I'm looking for right now. But the hurdles in place that that delay care restrictions, restrictions. I guess yeah, restrictions <laughs> in place. Yeah, that delay care. Then that's going to push them beyond that viability threshold. And then I guess maybe that's the intent. Yeah, that is the intent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm at a loss for words because this is exactly what the Republican Party has claimed for generations to not be about. And then here we are. They're making it as difficult as possible for mothers to create the families so we can have the Sam Alito domestic supply of babies or however he referred to that in that uh, in that uh, opinion. Yeah. Well, 
remarkably, there actually was a period of time when there was a governor of Texas, Ann Richards. Yeah. That name may be familiar to some people because it's actually the mother of Cecile Richards, Cecile Richards of Plant Parenthood, who was the president of Plant Parenthood for a long time. I don't know, over a decade, certainly. And Ann Richards, I came across a, a clip of her sitting with Katie Couric talking about her position on abortion. And this was the governor of Texas in the 90s on abortion. Issues do you agree and disagree with them about? Well, number one, I disagree with both of them on abortion. I think a woman has a right and every woman has a right and no government... No government should interfere whatsoever in a woman's decision about whether or not to have children. I mean, uh, hey, hey, no, wait, don't jump all over that guy. Uh, let, Let me tell you, I have seen more children in a world of hurt as a consequence of their birth to people who did not want them and could not care for them than I have from people who've had abortions. And and I want to respect anybody who has a moral disagreement with that. But you disagree in your own life. Don't tell the government to legislate what my daughters or my granddaughters or other women must do. Now, of course, this is the reasonable position to take. And we juxtapose this just decades ago in the state of Texas to what we have now with Ken Paxton and the Republican Party nationally, but also in the state of Texas, that against all evidence of what the consequence will be here, they're pressing forward. We're seeing maternity wards having to close OBGYN services just being removed from hospitals in Idaho and other states, and this is what's going to happen in Texas, and Here's the here's the the breaking news. They don't give a shit. They don't care if it's going to to spike maternal mortality, infant mortality in their state. They don't care. Yeah. Because it serves the evangelical monster that controls much of what the Republican Party does and believes. Yeah. And I think that's actually a good transition into our next topic because, you know, Liz Cheney has been making the rounds promoting her book, which mm-hmm. is now a number one bestseller. And <laughs> Good for you, Liz. And uh, she's been making the rounds. But what she's talking about in her book and in her interviews is very similar to what we heard from Mitt Romney when the book about Mitt Romney was published. He didn't write that book. That was McKay Coppins. (laughs) (laughs) But they are talking about the same thing, which is that Republicans really don't have any kind of like moral values. And we're seeing that in this discussion about Texas as well. They don't really have moral values, like guiding principles. They're all about what is politically expedient. And we have a perfect example of this with Liz Cheney talking about Kevin McCarthy. Before we get into exactly just how depraved and without a moral compass Kevin McCarthy is, I want to play a clip of him this week talking about after everything, after everything that has happened, Kevin McCarthy is saying, that he will support Donald Trump as as the nominee and that he will even work in his administration, if called. Will Donald Trump be the nominee? Yes. 
And the Republican Party, yes. And if Biden stays as the nominee for the Democrats, I believe Donald Trump will win. I believe the Republicans will gain more seats in the House and the Republicans will win the Senate. Can he count on your support? Yes. That's an endorsement. I will support the president. I will support President Trump. Would you be willing to serve in a Trump cabinet? In the right position. Look, if, I, if I'm the best person for the job, yes. Look, I, I worked with President Trump on a lot of policies. I, we work together to win the majority. But we also have a relationship where we're very honest with one another. Mm. <laughs> honest and Kevin McCarthy don't usually uh, line up real well in, in sentences. Well, it's also we know no one can be honest with Donald Trump. No one can yeah. be honest with him. He is a frail little man who surrounds himself with yes men. Yeah. He cannot have people around him that tell him the truth. If he had that, he wouldn't be facing what... Uh, the dozens of <laughs> felony charges that he's currently yeah. facing. He's only gotten himself <laughs> into trouble because no one will tell him the truth. Can I, can, before we move on here, can, how bad at earnestness <laughs> is Kevin McCarthy? It's just so put upon. It's so just forced. Jesse. Yeah, yes. Oh, I would, mm, yes. I believe that Donald Trump, if Joe Biden is the nominee, Donald Trump will win. And not only will Donald Trump win, we will take back the House in greater fashion and we will take back the Senate. This is what I believe. Oh, I thought you were going to do the part where he's like, will I work in the administration? Yes. If the job is a right fit for me. Right, oh, right. right. That's what matters. You'll the take fit. any position within a Trump administration dipshit. Oh, uh, Secretary of Commerce? Oh, yes, please. I can't wait to do that job. <laughs> so, okay, this is where we get to the Liz Cheney clip because, of course, she's promoting her book and she's talking about things behind the scenes, which would have been nice to know, like, as soon as they happened. And and this is what's frustrating about the book writing process. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that she's going to be talking about basically the scene when... Back near January 6th, when all this stuff was going down with Donald Trump denying the election and Kevin McCarthy behind the scenes acting like Donald Trump was was wrong and just like needed time to go through this. But then he made appearances on Fox News that were to the contrary. And instead of Liz Cheney going on Twitter and saying, hey, here's a recent appearance from Kevin McCarthy on Fox defending everything Trump's doing. I just need everyone to know that behind the scenes, right. he's saying something completely different. No, she waited a few years for her book to come out. And this is kind of the problem. She waited until she wasn't a congresswoman anymore, then wrote the book. Right. This is the problem. Yeah. We need you to do it in the moment. We need you to be telling the truth when you have the power, when you're in the rooms. Yeah. Go ahead and sacrifice yourself then. In, but okay we'll get we'll, we'll take a step back <laughs> we'll take a step back and we'll we'll hear we'll hear the full full Please picture try to be like britney <laughs> just be, be more like britney, britney maybe not right now but <laughs> <laughs> okay let's hear the full the full picture uh two days after the 2020 election uh you're talking to then uh leader kevin mccarthy he tells you that donald trump uh quote knows it's over and that he needs time to quote go through the stages of grief and then Almost immediately, you see this on Fox News. President Trump won this election, so everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. Do not be, do not be silent about this. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. This is a theme throughout the book, so much so I could fill an hour uh, of examples of, of Kevin McCarthy saying something to you that is rational and reality-based. 
yeah. and then going on TV and doing the exact opposite. For example, saying he's going to withdraw objections to the electoral count and then doing the exact opposite. You go so far as to, at one point, Donald Trump uses um, a word, uh, a, a euphemism, a feline euphemism, uh, to describe Kevin McCarthy. And you, you agree with him, with Donald Trump. But it's worse than that because that cravenness, in your view, uh, it really puts the country in jeopardy. Right. Why? Why is he like that? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know the why, but, but what I can tell you is, you know, it, it became very clear that it, it, when you're the leader and each time you have a choice to make and you decide that you're going to do the wrong thing, you lead the whole conference in that direction. Now, there were people that were very certainly willing to go with him, but, you know, situations, for example, uh, like when, when the issue of objecting to electoral votes came up, and you had these freshman members who had just been elected. They hadn't been in office more than a couple of days. And they were being asked to cast this crucially important vote. Are you going to object to electoral votes? It was clear there was no basis in the Constitution for them to do so. And I had a couple of them tell me that Kevin was meeting with them privately, telling them this isn't that big a deal, really. You know, the easy political vote is just to go ahead and object. And, and when you think about the damage that does when it's the leader... Uh, and he's actually telling people, don't don't worry, essentially, about your constitutional obligations. Here's the political expedient path to take. And, and of course, you know, the, we saw we saw where that led Republicans through the course of, of, you know, the months leading up to January 6th and afterwards. Now, look, all of the are you surprised guys in the comments, uh, <laughs> if that's what you're thinking is, well, is anybody surprised by this? No, of course we're not surprised by this. But when we have verification from a credible source of someone who was in the room and heard the conversation, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be drilled in the heads of those who might be on the fence, who who still, it's like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. There's just one more and one more. And then finally they're like, all right, this is enough. I've had enough. There are maybe millions of those people out there and this information could possibly move the needle. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I, that's definitely the hope of talking about it. And that's why it is frustrating to know when people like Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney are sitting on very important information yeah. about how two-faced and two-sided and only consumed with power their colleagues are. They sit on that information and then... There's, you know, little that we can do about it now. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is quitting. He's leaving Congress. Yeah, and it's not just two-faced about, like, you know, he was for the infrastructure bill but voted against it because of whatever political machinations. We're talking about American democracy. We're talking about the continuation of the country in the way that it has been known and understood for 250 years. We're talking about saying the election was stolen, that Donald Trump won in 2020 when he lost by seven plus million votes it, this is more serious and 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 more consequential than just you know saying one thing in public and thinking another thing in private yeah absolutely Ugh. so a another issue that came up this week was the hunter biden charges the additional hunter biden charges on uh, tax fraud and so this is in addition to the federal gun case that's right and i <laughs> found it fascinating you did a video yesterday jesse about like james comer's response to this yeah i think he was saying something like 
it's beneficial or, or some in some way to the Biden campaign that Hunter Biden is being indicted on these numerous new felony charges. Yeah, he went as far as to say that they're indicting him for not only the gun charge, but these additional tax charges, which add like a potential add a potential 17 years in prison. They're doing that to protect him. Mm. They're indicting him to 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 protect him. Hmm, interesting. I guess that's interesting Republican logic, but we're going to turn to our favorite, well, my favorite legal uh, analyst on CNN, Ellie Honig, who breaks down how serious these charges are and really how it's it's not really going to benefit the, the Bidens, not protect them. You may recall that back in July, Hunter Biden walked into a federal courtroom expecting to plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors with a probation sentence attached. That deal fell apart at the last minute. Now let's look at how things have changed. Now Hunter Biden is looking at nine separate charges, tax evasion, tax fraud, and non-payment of taxes. And really importantly, these two, there's one count of evasion, two counts of fraud. These are felonies now, much more serious. Tax evasion carries a max sentence of five years. Fraud carries a max sentence of three years. Nobody gets the max, but much more serious than before. Now... If we look at the indictment, this alleges a scheme covering four years, 2016 through and including 2019. The allegation is that during that time, Hunter Biden made around $7 million in income, primarily from foreign companies in Ukraine and China. Doesn't allege that those were bribes, does not allege Hunter Biden was engaged in illegal influence peddling as a lobbyist, but makes clear he did not do actual work meriting $7 million worth of income. And the allegation is that he failed to pay and committed fraud with respect to about $1.4 million in taxes owed. Now, the indictment lays out in detail the way Hunter Biden would allegedly commit this fraud. For example, he took false business deductions. The indictment alleges, as one example, that in 2018, he claimed he had $388,000 worth of business travel. But in fact, the allegation is he was doing no business, no real work. So he writes that off. And that's a fraud. The the indictment also details lavish personal spending by Hunter Biden, $4.8 million worth of money that the government says he could have easily paid back. Instead, he used on personal expenses ranging from cars and clothes to, quote unquote, adult entertainment. One other interesting thing from the indictment, the sources of evidence that DOJ uses, they use Hunter Biden's memoir. They use things he says in his book against him. It's quoted extensively in the indictment. That's fair play. It's a statement by Hunter Biden. And they use certain texts from Hunter Biden, including one that references taxes. It's not exactly a smoking gun, but they say, well, look, he knew he had to pay taxes. He knew he owed these. So don't write about crimes in your memoir, I think, is one of the key (laughs) (laughs) messages that I'm receiving here. Don't write about crimes anywhere. Don't text about them. Don't email them. Don't slide into somebody's DMs about your crimes. But most certainly, first and foremost, don't write a memoir where you highlight them. Yeah, that might be a good thing to do. You know, it's interesting. I think he just, Donald Trump was president during this time that he was evading taxes and and allegedly uh, committing these these fraudulent actions. And How about this? When he was committing these fraudulent actions that have been alleged. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Donald Trump becomes president and he's like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to really get in there. No taxes for me, allegedly. 
And so this is Donald Trump's fault, is what I'm I'm getting at. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Because Donald he Trump's did not fault. stop this from happening. Yeah, look, when I criticize, and I, I do, when it, not every time I talk about Hunter Biden, but I will allude to the fact that I'm not a giant fan of Hunter Biden. And I get emails and voicemails from people who think it's because he's a drug addict, and that has nothing to do with the calculus that I make. If anything, that gives that makes me have sympathy for him that he. That he has these external issues, internal issues that he that he that he deals with, that he the, the demons that he deals with, he has to do it in public. That's that's a bummer. That's not one of the. That's not the reason that I'm that I have less sympathy for him. It's that he's a wildly privileged rich kid who's getting positions not based on his skill set, but on who he's connected to, and you know. I don't know if it's some petty, immature jealousy that I have, but I don't have a lot of respect for it. You know, we growing up poor kids, we didn't, we don't have the ability to sell half a million dollar paintings when we have no artistic ability. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's why, for those of you who have emailed and written in and been bothered by the fact that I say I'm not a fan, it has nothing to do with his drug addiction and his struggles. This guy's been through a lot. He lost family members, his mom and his brothers or his, you know, his siblings. He's lost his brother, Bo. He's, you know, it's, I'm sure he's had some rough times, but, you know, he's also had a giant pile of money to comfort him in those times. Yes. It's quite comforting when you have a giant pile of money. I wouldn't know, but I've heard good things about it. So it's interesting that Hunter Biden's attorney is alleging that this is a political bias because you hear this from Donald Trump, too, right? That the DOJ is going after him, that Biden has weaponized the Justice Department against him. And so I think this Hunter Biden case really shoots holes in Trump's argument that the Department of Justice has been weaponized against him and is being used by Joe Biden, because if that were the case, obviously Joe Biden would weaponize that Justice Department to actually protect, not in James Comer's version of protect, actually protect his son from potentially spending years in prison. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. 17-year-old Max Hawkman is taking care of biz today. We love the kids that are out there doing good work, and Max is definitely one of them. I saw this story on CBS, I believe, and Max created a weekly program where his peers visit uh, elderly folks, seniors, in their residence in order to help combat loneliness. For these high school teenagers, spending the afternoon with people old enough to be their grandparents is their idea of a good time. Every Thursday, a group from the United Nations International School visits this New York City skilled nursing facility for an afternoon of competition and conversation. It's the brainchild of 17-year-old Max Hockman, who started playing chess with his family at the age of four. I started thinking about it during the COVID-19 pandemic, when I heard about how my grandfather was kind of feeling lonely, I decided to just pick up the phone one day and call him and ask him to play chess online with me. I saw how that really like improved his mood. I thought, like, how could I bring this to my community and my seat? 
That online chess game with his grandfather in Florida has morphed into 60 students visiting three facilities every week. I love all types of there. Much to the delight of residents like Lori James. You know, I'm seeing a lot of talking and very little chess playing. Is that what usually happens with these things? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Because that's how you connect to one another. It seems like there's a lot more going on here than just chess. Actually, there's dominoes also in Scrabble, but there's a lot of conversation. Sometimes we don't play any board games and all we just have a conversation so it's really about the connection we're, we're so pleased to be learning from the residents at these homes Maria Alomar introduced Daria Murnia to the game of dominoes. Uh, you said to me that the people in East Harlem, is that where you're from? Yes. They take dominoes very seriously. Very seriously, uh, yes. What do you mean by that? When they're playing, they're making sure that their domino is shown. It's slamming down. Uh-huh. It's the banter back and forth. So there's a little attitude. It's a lot of attitude. <laughs> I thought the challenge was to build the most intricate structure so you can knock them down. But I found out that it's a much more complex game than that. I won one game. I won one game. But who's counting? In between chess moves, Luis Sanchez and Hugo Ilmesen discovered they had both lived in Panama. I was showing him some photos of me in Panama and we were talking about it. We speak English and then sometimes we'll speak Spanish. Did it surprise you that students would want to come here and play chess with with older people? I think that, you know, there's a desire on their end to have the connection as well. So it's not just, you know, the residents wanting to connect with the youth, but the youth wanting to connect with them. Just knowing that there's still genuine young people out there who's willing to, you know, come and sit with us, take the time out Mm -hmm. to, to connect with the, you know, generations before them. Gives you faith? Yeah. For CBS Mornings, I'm Dr. John LaPook. So this is great. Number one, I've always kind of loved older people. And I think it's because I didn't spend a lot of time around them. Like, I never knew my grandparents. I never, like, I remember in elementary school, they would have Grandparents Day. And I would just go home because I didn't have grandparents. And I would see all the grandparents and I'm like, it'd be so cool to like... You should have just sidled up to one of your friends like, nope, you're my grandpa now. Yeah, that would have been nice. (laughs) But this is also cool because social engagement helps reduce some of the risk of cognitive decline. At least some research suggests that. And so it's it's good for their mental fitness, their mental health in order to have increased social engagement, whether it's with kids or other of their peers. But I think it's nice to have... The kids come in and maybe learn some things, and hopefully there's no uh, Trump rants in New York City because it's New York City. <laughs> it, it also, I think, is is it shines a light on the fact that, or what I I presume and hope is the case, that this particular generation is a lot more engaged, socially engaged, politically engaged, uh, and willing to do the work that it takes to do good. Yes, and that is. Because there's a lot of work ahead of us, climate change and a host of other very serious issues, and it sounds like this latest generation isn't, you know, as lazy, no good, <laughs> ne'er-do-wells <laughs> like my generation was, Aww, or is, yeah. or was, was at this age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good for Max Hawkman. Yeah, work. we, uh, taking care of biz for sure. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you on this or any other topic that's on your mind. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I've done that so many times. I could 
I could do it with my eyes closed, Brittany. Ooh, that's impressive. Talk with my eyes closed. Wow. The other thing that we would encourage you to do <laughs> is help support this work, help produce this program. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can pick your tiers, see what the benefits are, and rest assured that you're helping move the conversation forward uh, on important topics on an episode-by-episode episode basis. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for Brittany Page. I'm Jesse <laughs> Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.